Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thanks, sponsors, Tops, Upper Deck, Panini, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. This is probably the last outtakes from that 70s card show that John Keating has had. I was on the penultimate episode, which is the next to last episode. He was sunsetting and went through the 70s. I was episode 79. Then, fittingly, the last episode is episode 80. I'm going to miss it. He really reminded me of some things I missed in the 70s. I was working pretty hard. I was hitting the hobby very hard in the 70s and even maybe more so in the 80s as I got into the business aspect of it. But John made it fun. One of the joys of doing this podcast is getting to make new friends. And John Keating has gone from new friend to old friend <laughs> over the course of this. I'm going to miss his podcast, but hopefully he'll be uh, continue to contribute in other ways. And I'll see him at the Nationals and maybe some other shows as we go. So I've made a friend there. And you can see from his asking me to be on his show, and I've had him on mine. We have a good rapport. And this is just some of what we talked about. It's his show. So he's asking questions and he's always asked questions that are a little bit different than other people ask. Here it is. I hope you enjoy it. And if you see him at a card show, tell him thanks for the contribution to going deeper into the seventies and the cards of the seventies and what was going on in the culture. So going to miss it. I'm realizing the seventies were my favorite decade of collecting. <laughs> Of all the decades, from my personal experience of collecting, my greatest and most favorite. I think the TCMA sets, they've been underappreciated, not just right. financially underappreciated, because aesthetically they're not great. The paper stock is not great by today's standards, but they were a real contribution. Yeah, there was Fleer in the 70s. There was Don Russ in the 70s. There was Exograph in the 70s. All these players were around in the 70s. All hell didn't break loose until 1981. I always thought Fleer was the agitator with the lawsuits, but it seems like TCMA was the one that was poking the bear the most. I don't know whether that was their intention. I don't think they were poking the bear. I think they were trying to fly low under the radar. Initially, right? But, Initially, I mean, Topps had a near monopoly, and Topps was synonymous with cards in the 70s. All these other brands you're talking about, Topps had 90% market share. I don't even know if they thought TCMA was a nuisance or a competitor. They were putting out sets that Topps wouldn't have otherwise done that were old timers. But when they started doing new players, that would be interesting. And the fact that it was only done one year, probably some cease and desist. Yeah, SSPC, 75, 76. We know it to be 76, but 75 gets attached to it. It seems like they put out a full set, full color. It was a wonderful thing for them, considering every card with pictures were taken at Shea Stadium. So a stroke of luck there. They only had to be in one place, one stadium. They didn't have to run around even over to Yankee Stadium because the Yankees were playing in Shea in 75 and 74. That wasn't licensed by the players or obviously it wasn't licensed by the league, was it? I don't think so. Again, we didn't regard it as a full rookie card kind of a set back in the day to the extent rookie cards were considered. It was like a collector set. That just happened to be very large and yeah. comprehensive. Yeah, but it's interesting considering how the late 60s, there was a little baseball card war that had broken out between the Players Union and Tops or whatever. It's crazy how this thing got out there to begin with. The players or the league were not involved in any kind of lawsuits from what I gather from TCMA, but Tops 
did engage them with a cease and desist, as you say, and it was pretty much of a sweetheart deal, wouldn't you say? Sell out your inventory and just don't do it again, that kind of thing, slap on the wrist? Probably, but in the overall scheme of things, I don't think it was uh, that huge in terms of what they printed. On the other hand, there's this dance in the legal arena of these uh, copyright, I won't say infringers, but when you're in the gray area, cops, I don't think, wanted to run the risk of getting a ruling that would be more expansive in a way that said, hey, what they're doing is okay up to this point. Instead, they could just threaten them as the big person and say, hey, sell it out and don't do it anymore and keep making your minor league sets. Yeah, let's talk about the first time you became aware of TCMA. It was a small community, obviously, the collecting community. Do you know the players involved in making these sets prior to the sets coming out? I didn't meet Tom Collier and Mike Ehrenstein until probably 75 Because I was in Texas, but when I moved up to Ohio and started hitting the New York shows and up and down the East Coast and in the Midwest, I met those guys and the sets were way more prevalent in their areas. I didn't see much in Texas. Again, in 73, 74, 75, but by 75, yeah. They just looked different. They didn't look different better, but they looked different for somebody that wanted to have everything, which I did. Yeah, they were all mail order full sets, which is one of the ways Mike Aronstein has said he was trying to get around the whole tops thing. If not he put, distributed. Because as you remember, part of the lawsuit with Fleer had to do with confectionery, that they had some rights to that. But as soon as that gets clarified, then there's a workaround. So I don't right. think they wanted that. And I think Mike was the prime mover there, Mike Aronstein. I don't think he wanted to poke the bear. I think he wanted to fly under the radar. So the attempt to just make these collector sets with old photography and then do minor leagues. That's classic disruptive. You do things that aren't being done. Disruptive to me equates to being an agitator. Maybe I just... The sometimes disruptive technology is stealth. There are books written about this. You come in and the major competitor is dismissive because I don't really want to do that anyway. But as you build your base of business... On the stealth, all of a sudden, now you're a legitimate competitor because you have customers who think you're okay. And an alternative. The Sporting News had classified ads in the back where you could get cards in the early 70s. There weren't many shows. There were almost no local card shops. So people weren't ordering 20 of these at a time from Sporting News or Collectors Quarterly and then taking it to shows. Not in Texas that much. They weren't illegitimate, but they were less legitimate People really were focused on older cards in the 70s, especially the early 70s. Could have been on somebody's table, but it would have been overlooked. Other than curiosity, people wanted to complete their flagship top sets. They wanted to work backwards. You could tell what level of collector was by what they were looking for. And I don't recall people looking that much for oddball stuff. So prior to 1972, which I believe the Cedar Rapids Cardinals was their first minor league set, was there any interest in minor league cards? The only thing I could think of is PCL stuff back in the 20s. Was there anything PCL was PC- a big deal. No, you were a legitimate collector if you had Z-Nuts and Obacks and things that were from the PCL. The PCL was pretty close to major league level back in DiMaggio, the 20s Williams, and 30s. All those guys, yeah. right? it's, it was a respected minor league, and it was West Coast. This is the first set we see, maybe since... The 20s up until 1972. Other minor league sets, but there was no pattern. It would just be an occasional thing. They're really tough. Anything pre-TCMA that was in that space of the 40s or 50s, like you said, mostly it's PCL. 
but there were others. It's a stroke of luck here that right from the horse's mouth, Mike Gerenstein received a letter or a call from a collector involved in, I guess, Cedar Rapids Cardinals, and he asked him to print some cards up, and it was, a, I think, a 50-50 proposition. Here's a 1,000 for you. Here's a 1,000 for me. It makes you wonder, without that call, would the rest of the TCMA legacy be built on the same foundation? He had already been doing these old-timers kind of things, and I think he had some photographic understanding or ability. He was a savvy guy in a lot of ways. But all of his sets before that Cedar Rapids were taking existing art. Right. Whereas Cedar Rapids, you got to hire a photographer, go out there, take reasonable pictures, which aren't so great in some cases, and make sure you know who in all the sets that he had done before were recognizable players for purists, players that actually played in the big league. Cedar Rapids so there was a lot more work involved. And his minor league sets got better and better, but they never got up to the level where you'd say, hey, I'm confusing this with a tops card. So you're still setting up in the shows in the late 70s. Are any of these on your table or you just have all the true vintage stuff, 60s, 50s and beyond, right? Nobody's caring uh, about this stuff at the shows. If you went to a huge show, there'd be somebody that had them, but they weren't doing blockbuster business. It would be... It's like Denny, my publishing close friend who had this distribution business, he had all the minor league sets and he put them on his table. He sold plastic sheets. So it was stuff that you could easily replenish. He was okay. tight with Mike Ehrenstein and he'd be one of the distributors. So you never saw just one set. This was another marketing, not a blunder, but if you could walk up to a table and you only have one table out of a hundred at the show, but they have... 10 of every set. It doesn't make you think, hey, I better get this now because it's really going up in value. And nobody was cherry picking the Ripkins or the Hendersons or anything like that. It just looked like those are just homemade sets. They're a step above that, but fully respected. Do you think it was more of a regional thing? Like, I can't imagine Ryan Sandberg's card having any interest, Reading Philly's card at the time, any interest beyond anybody in the Philadelphia area or. I think. You know, uh, Again, what you said for the Cedar Rapids, the concept probably was pretty similar for all those sets. I think probably half the sets they produced, which could have been one or 2,000 total sets, I think half of them stayed in the geographic area right. were marketed either on a card night for the team. I don't know that it was paying for rights as much as half the sets went there. And the other half could have gone anywhere. and They went to distributors or in their various publications to sell them one at a time. But they were only going for a few bucks. It's crazy. I'm a big fan of the sets that depict the older stuff. I have no interest really in the minor league sets. Obviously, there's players out there that people love, Hall of Famers. But the 50s, the 60s, I have those sets, and I appreciate them now. And I think now there's an appreciation that wasn't in previous decades. For the TCMA sets. No, uh, I think what, they're still the not fully, sets fully appreciated. Set. Rich Klein or many people have a 20, 25, 30-year rule that things come in vogue when you – come back and reflect on your childhood as somebody with disposable income. But it's like the windows closed for TCMA and they never really went up. Notable exceptions for a few enduring superstars where there's a chase for that. But for the average non-star player from TCMA, if you wanted to corner the market for somebody's cards, you'd have trouble because there's just not that many out there. There's just not enough demand other than for the big stars. But if there ever were to be bigger demand, they're not enough to go around and the price could go way up. One of the difficult things with this set is the fact that it wasn't pack distributed and it was distributed 
in a set form with a finite amount of sets. If you have an incomplete set, it can be difficult to complete the set. You're not going to go to the card show with a list of 50 TCMA, the 50s or 60s, or even the SSPC and knock it off your list. You're right. But the other insidious part of me being the price guide guy is that there are a lot of short sets that are sold in some of those TCMA where there's some late editions. And you've got to be sure that when you buy the set, you're buying the set that has the last two cards that were added to the set at the end of the year. So talking about the team cards there? Because I know no, you and Rich no, kind of talked about, about that little 5 by 7s No, I'm talking about in the late 70s, there in 77, 78, 79. There are occasionally some players that were traded and removed, or, okay. or they were, were traded in and added to the set because the team wanted the full representation. Therefore, it's really difficult to buy that just one card, not fitting with your theme of your show, but... I did not collect TCMA cards. I collected TCMA sets. Actually, I'm trying to think of any card from the 70s that I collected that I didn't collect as a set. I bought collections and I bought sets. And in fact, I didn't really buy collections of 70s cards. I bought collections that had 70s cards in there. No offense, you had to take it all. And there now is some really good stuff in there. I'm glad I did. The man in the house.